What am I thankful for? I thought a lot about this idea over the last week or two. And I, I, God brought a scripture to mind that I really believe if we look at this story this morning, we can all leave here this morning with very thankful hearts and a very good reason to be thankful as well. And I think we would all agree that the fragrance of the food, no matter what we do, is always good, isn't it? Turkey, mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce. Yeah, I can't eat most of that, by the way, so I'm a little hangry this time of the year too, which isn't good for me. But anyway, I want to make sure that we have an opportunity today to look into Scripture and find something to be thankful for. Because when all else around us seems to be crumbling, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Amen? We've got a lot to be thankful for. What I want to look at this morning is if you've got your Bibles, turn in the book to the book of Luke. Everybody knows this was written to the most excellent Theophilus. And again, I, just, I know I share this a lot. And I know the high school kids get tired of hearing this as well. This book was written to a person. So as you sit in your seat this morning and as you listen to this, I want to make this personal for us each and every time we look into the book of Luke. The scripture we're going to read this morning has two radically radically different reactions to Jesus' ministry. We're going to see the blatant arrogance of a Pharisee and the wise humility and the fragrant thankfulness of a woman. And that's what we want to look at this morning. I'm going to do this a little bit different this morning, if you'll allow me to. I'm going to break the scripture down in sections. We're going to read verse 36 through 50, but I'm going to do it each section at a time per point that I have. And I think it will develop and unfold, I hope, to where it will make some sense. There's four points that I have this morning. The first one will be a little longer. The last three should be a little bit shorter as we go through this. The first thing I want to look at is I'm going to read verses 36 through 40 of Luke 7. So chapter 7 of Luke, 36 through 40. Here's what it says. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city, I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, by the way. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard He was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have a question. Simon said, go ahead, teacher. So he asked, when Jesus asked this question, what I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the two people to begin with. So there's two people in this story that I want to pull out of this to begin with that Jesus talks about, that Luke talks about in the scripture. One is a repentant sinner and one is a self-righteous Pharisee. But first, what I want to do is I want to kind of set the stage for this dinner that they're talking about in this story. This is kind of an open-air theater, if I can put it that way, with this dinner. When we have dinner on Thanksgiving, we come into the house, we close the door, we may leave the door open depending on the weather, but we shut the door behind us, and if somebody wants to enter into the room, they got to knock on the door, don't they? Nobody just opens up your door unless they're family and walks into the room, right? So in this setting that you see, it's not a private affair, a lot of times what would happen in this, in this day and time, they would, Jesus was invited into this dinner. What would happen, it was in a kind of a courtyard area where there would literally be other people that would sit around the outside of the dinner area, the dinner table, and they would listen to the wise stories that were being told by the Pharisees and the rabbis that were at the, at the dinner table. So this is not an open event. This is, our, this is an open event. It's not a closed event here. And this explains how this woman is able to come into this room where Jesus is being seated. So this is not a private conversation. And another thing that would happen in this time 
is they would have, people would actually ask for scraps, leftovers. So if they didn't eat all the food, the people around the outside of the table would actually come up and take some food home with them as well to kind of help the needy and the poor. But this explains how this woman gained access into this banquet where Jesus was at. It's important to know that women were never invited to the banquet, ever. They could sit around the outside, but they were never invited to sit around the table. A Jewish, a Jewish rabbi would very rarely, if at all, speak to a woman in public. We see how Jesus elevates a woman in this story and how he elevates women within this culture because rabbis wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't even bump into him. They surely wouldn't have dinner with him. So that's the setting that you see within this story, and I'll talk a little bit more, more about this as it unfolds. The very first person I want to look at in this story is a repentant sinner. That's the woman, a certain sinner. Her sins are not specified in this scripture. Um, they're not given specifics, but when you read this and you read commentaries and you study this, by the way that the NLT puts it, especially a certain immoral woman, she was a woman of the night. She was a streetwalker. That's who she was. That's the reputation that she had um, as a certain immoral woman. It is not made clear when this woman repented. It could have been when Matthew, like Jesus was talking about in the book of Matthew, come to me who all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. May have been a message that John the Baptist was sharing about Jesus. It never, I could never find any clarity on where this woman had given her life to Christ and asked to be saved or was forgiven of her sin. But what we do see is the fruit of repentance in this woman's life. So I want to give you this idea. Jesus and all the people sitting around this table would have been reclining. They would have been laid on their side, on their left arm, and then they will eat with their right hand. So that's when you see this woman when she comes into the room and it says she comes up to Jesus' feet. That's how she addresses this. It's not like us where you're sitting there in your chair and I walk up and I sneak in the aisle and I sit by your feet. That's not what this looks like. They were literally leaned on their arm, on their left arm, laid out, and they were reclining. That's how they ate in those days. And then they would reach in with their right hand and they would eat the food that was given to them. So this woman comes in. She arrives at the dinner, knowing who Jesus is, and comes weeping. Now I want you to get this picture of weeping as not a few tears running down her cheeks. This woman is broken and she is looking for her Lord. She's looking for her Savior. And she comes in and scripture says that she kneels down and she is weeping so hard. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been that broken with your sin and seeing who you are and what you've been through and how you've been forgiven? That you're that broken that you remember what it was like to be saved. Personally, I hope it, I hope it doesn't hone in on my masculinity too much. I've had this kind of experience where I've wept this hard before the Lord that I probably could have washed his feet with my tears. I hope you have. If, if not physically, how about in your heart? Do you realize where you're at? So this woman starts to weep and she starts to cry. And then what she does is such a unique thing in my mind. Is she kneels down and she's crying and she starts to dry the feet of Jesus with her hair. Ladies, <laughs> I got to share a little bit of this in the high school room the other night. Could you imagine washing someone's feet with your hair. How intimate a moment that would have to be that you're so grateful to your Lord that you're knelt down and your tears are so strong that you're literally wiping the tears away and wiping the, the dust of the feet of the rabbi away with your own hair. See, in those days, it had to be kind of nasty because they wore, they wore sandals and they walked wherever they went. 
I can't even imagine doing it in today's world where you take somebody's shoes off. But I know for a lady, I think this has got to be, I would imagine this has got to be something very intimate. Because the one thing men do not do with another woman is to come up and touch her hair. It's a very intimate scene that you have between Jesus and this woman here. And the other thing that you see in this story is this woman broke all cultural norms. She, she did not care. See, in that day, a young woman was the only woman that would be allowed to let her hair down. An older woman, a, a more mature woman, if you will, she would have to keep her hair up unless it was for her husband she would let her hair down. So in this moment for her husband, I would imagine this woman probably didn't have a husband. She, she wasn't really too concerned about it because of the lifestyle that she had. But I do believe that the way you look at this woman's life and the way you see the fruit of repentance in her life and he, she's washing the hair or feet of Jesus with her hair and she lets her hair down in a room full of Pharisees, rabbis, and other people and going totally against what culture said you're not supposed to do. I get the sense in this and I'm, if you'll allow me to speculate just a little bit or read in the scripture, I don't think she cared. I think this was, have you ever had that moment with Jesus where it's just you and him? You can be in a crowd of people and all of a sudden it's just you and the Lord. Everything else kind of phases out around you and it doesn't really matter. It's just you and your Savior. And I think that's what this woman was experiencing in this time because I, you, you get the sense that she didn't care. Then what she does after she wipes the feet of Jesus and she dries them, then she takes an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume and she anoints the Lord's feet. And in the process of this, she's kissing Jesus' feet constantly. Can you just for a minute put yourself in this story? Put yourself in the room. You gotta be thinking to yourself, what in the world is going on around here? I know this is open and everybody can come in, but this, a woman would have not been allowed to, to approach the table probably. And this woman would have especially not have been allowed to approach this table. Many women wore this flask of perfume around their neck, so it wasn't unusual for her to have this, but it was unusual for her to anoint the feet of her savior and be kissing his feet in the midst of all of what was going on around her. The risk this woman took was unheard of. What risk have you taken in your life for Christ lately? Have you? I don't know. Sometimes just to be a Christian and walk upstream in a world that is so dark and so confused right now, that's risk enough in itself. We see people all the time not getting political, but you got Trump on one side, Biden on the other. People are afraid to put signs in your yard because of the consequences you might serve by putting one name in your front yard. This woman came in and this could have cost her her life, but she didn't care because she was going to anoint the feet of the one who was going to give her his life for her. Her actions showed her thankfulness to her Lord for what he had done. Her actions showed that. Her actions showed the, the, the beautiful fragrance and thankfulness that had to be going on in this moment that had to fill the air with this wonderful perfume that was very costly. Think about what that had to smell like and what that had to look like to hear someone bawling at the feet of Jesus because of what he had done. Because see, you have, you have a table full of other rabbis and Pharisees in this as well, which we'll talk about in just a second. One last thought that I want to give you, and it's not, to, it's not to come down on you, but it's to get you to think. How do you show your thankfulness to the Lord? How do you do that? How do you do what this woman has done in this room? Think to yourself for a second, do I? I love Jesus, but do I express my thankfulness to him in the way I walk in the way I live my life? 
she did. Her actions were clear. The next person I want to look at is I want to look at the Simon the Pharisee, a self-righteous Pharisee. Rather than be emotionally moved at the love and thankfulness that this woman had for the Lord, he had disdain. You could just sense it. You could sense him, can't you see him, sitting at the other end of the table, looking over the table at what was going on? Seeing this woman sitting at the other end of the table entered into his banquet that she shouldn't have been there to begin with, you just get the sense that this Pharisee was just, he kept to be thinking, this horribly sinful woman has entered into my banquet. What in the world is she doing here? You just get the sense of disdain when you think about him. And not only that, not only did she come in, now she's bawling. She's interrupting the whole stinking dinner. She's, come on, woman, get out of here. He's got to be thinking to himself, what are you doing? You're weeping, now you're pouring oil on his feet. You're wiping his hair. Come on. Somebody get her out. Can she just see it? You can just sense it. It would be like, come on. What's going on around here? This is the different temperament. This is the two different responses to Jesus' ministry that you see here. One is heartfelt and the other one is just the other guy. Simon seemed to be all concerned about his reputation more than anything else, didn't he? He seemed to be more concerned about what are people thinking. You can see himself, you're making me look bad, woman. Take a hike. This is not what I wanted. So his reputation was more important than the Savior. Her reputation, she didn't care about. The Savior was everything to her. How about you? As you walk through life, as you live your life, think now. Look back at the last week or the last two weeks. Has your reputation been more important than your relationship with Christ? Reputation or relationship? As we live our lives, we gotta, we got to look at these kind of things to keep, help keep ourselves on track, I do believe. Scripture says this. Pharisees were like whitewashed tombs. They looked really good on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. And I do believe in this world, we're starting to reveal a lot of what's going on with everything happening in the world today, there's a lot of what's happening revealing a person's heart, isn't there? You see it by the response that they have. Are they angry? Are they gracious? Are they graceful? Are they merciful? Are they thankful? Are they angry all the time? Are they just a grouch? Are they upset about what's going on? It can be, you can be upset about what's going on in the world, but we, cannot, we can never lose sight of the fact of who we're walking with because we're bringing him honor and glory in however we, res- we respond in life. We've got to remember this too, that the, when this woman touched Jesus' feet, he would have been considered unclean by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very pious, very, hypocri- very hypocritical in the way they lived their life. They prided themselves on staying away from things that were unclean. So this Pharisee had to be thinking to himself, this is absolutely nuts. And that's when Simon thought to himself, Scripture says, If this man were a prophet, that being Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman was touching him, for she is a sinner. So Simon thought this to himself. He should know this. This totally discredits Jesus to Simon. He kind of gets this self-righteous arrogance about him that, well, this Jesus can't be all that in a bag of chips. He's got to be a fraud. Because if he was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is that's touching him. So Jesus does this. Reading Simon's thoughts, Jesus demonstrated that he's much more powerful than a prophet. Because he knew exactly what Simon was thinking. (laughs) Do you know that? 
Do you know as you sit here this, this morning that the Lord knows exactly what we're thinking? What I'm thinking and what you're thinking. Don't say what you're thinking out loud while I'm speaking. <laughs> okay, don't say that. But he knows. So he tells Simon. He says, Simon, um, I, have a, I have something to say to you, he says. I have a question for you. I have something to say. And you get the sense that Simon's like, go ahead, Lord. I'm going to allow you to speak. It's just crazy when you think about this picture. I've been studying this picture in my head and I just see this whole thing unfolding before me. So Simon says, go ahead, teacher. Have a shot at it. So Jesus tells Simon a parable about two people who had a debt they could not pay. And that's my second point is the parable. And this is verses 41 through 43. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver and 50 pieces, of, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one, who canceled the, the one who he canceled the larger debt for. Makes sense, doesn't it? The creditors that owed him this stuff, Simon had to come up with a simple answer. Duh, is what I would say. We're obviously going to know the one that was, that was forgiven the most debt would be the one who would be most thankful. Imagine when you get home today, somebody paying your house. Would you be thankful to them? Somebody said, hey, I've paid the mortgage. I've taken care of it. That's your debt. I got this. I would be pretty excited about that if it was me. I think that would be a pretty good deal. Being at the age I'm at and having a home paid for, I think that would be a really good thing. And I would be grateful for that debt that was paid. But this parable doesn't deal as much with the amount of the debt it deals more with the idea of this person's debt or the sin in their life, being aware of it. That word debt in the Greek, the word debt equals sin as well. So this could be given debt or sin, either word. This one, the word is used as debt. So when you look at this, he'd been, he had been given, forgiven 500 pieces of silver and 50 pieces of silver. But the debt in, the, in a person's life, it's an awareness thing, I think. A lot of you didn't live the life that I lived when I was younger, but you still need Christ. You could be grandma cooking apple pies for the kids in the neighborhood, but you still need saved. We all have the same debt and we are all gonna pay the same price unless we are forgiven that debt and it's eternity apart from God. It's being separated from him and all that we do for eternity. See, Simon's guilt was um, pride, pride. It was more hidden. The woman's guilt was of the flesh. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew what this woman had been up to and what she was doing. So you look at that. One was a sin of pride and one was a sin of passion. And you can see that Jesus, you, talking to Simon in this, you kind of wonder, do you think Simon starts to get it? Do you think Simon starts to realize that who Jesus is talking about in this parable is Simon because Jesus read his thoughts? He's got to be thinking to himself, oh. And Jesus is talking about the sinful woman as well. And here's the key thing in this parable. Neither person could repay their debt. Neither one could repay it. There's no way that we can repay this debt. So one is of the spirit and one is of the flesh. And 2 Corinthians 7, 1 tells us this. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So even if your sin is of the spirit, it's pride or whatever that is, that needs cleansed as much as it does a woman who may be in prostitution or somebody else that may be living in sin. It needs to be cleansed. I want to go back to that idea of everybody knew her sin. 
And Simon said sin was hidden. I don't know each person in this room, how you live your life and what you do during the week. But this idea of hidden sin struck me. If you're sitting in this room and you have some secret part of your life where there's sin, don't you think you're going to get away with it? Because Jesus already knows. You can hide it from everybody in this room. See, you're looking at a man who used to hide his sin very well. I know what this is like. Not being a Christian in those days because I didn't know the Lord. But I know what it's like to try to hide my sin. And if you're in this room this morning and you're trying to hide your sin and you've got something that you need to get right with before God, I would recommend that you do it today, this morning, before you leave this place. Why do I say that? Because Numbers 32, 23 tells us this. But if you do, if you do not, if you do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will be found out. Luke, 12, two, Luke chapter 12, 2 and 3 says this. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. And all that is secret will be made known. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you've whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. That searches my heart. Because I can't get away with hidden sin. I can't get away with, with sinful thoughts very long. God knows my thoughts. Every word I, every careless word I use in this planet is going to be given account for come judgment day. And I got this idea that when you talk about behind closed doors, everything you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops. This convicts me, that part right there, because when I'm in my home, I might talk differently than when I'm out of my home. You understand? The temperament of how I speak may be different than what I do when I come to church. Do, is your, is the way you talk, is your speech, have the same attitude and the same seasoning here as it does at home? Does it have the same seasoning here as it does at work? These things, this, is, this has been a very convicting message for me because I've got to make sure that in the home, I'm the same as out of the home. My talk, my temperament, how I season things, my attitude has all got to be in the home, has got to be the same as it is out of the home because if it's not, it will not be consistent, in or out. And you get the idea in this, I want to make sure in the scripture, I'm going to lean into this idea here in just a minute. To be forgiven because you love could be interpreted as earning, earning forgiveness, and it's not. And I'll talk a little bit about more of that in just a moment here. A better translation may be, um, I could tell you this way, her many sins had been forgiven, that's why she loved much. If your many sins have been forgiven, you can be thankful and you can love much in this room this morning. So Simon, at the end of this, he answered the question. I suppose the one who, who is forgiven the greatest debt. And Jesus says, Simon, <laughs> you get to be right. And then he goes on to the third point. The point of the parable, verses 40 through 40, 44 through 47, says this. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, <laughs> can you see it? Hang with me for a second, will you? So he's sitting at this table, he's reclined at this table, the woman's at his feet, Simon's across the table with his little glare staring at him, and all of a sudden Jesus turns to the woman and says to Simon, I like the way the Lord behaves, because Simon's got to be crawling in his skin, Simon's got to be kind of slinking underneath the table a little bit, if I can put it that way by now, because Simon's being called out a little bit here. So he said to the woman, turned, looking at the woman, he turned to, Simon and, or turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. 
Everybody is hearing this right now. In these days, hospitality was a very big deal. Everybody at the table is hearing this while Jesus looks at this woman. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust off my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who has been forgiven little shows only little love. Turning towards Simon, turning toward a woman, he said to Simon, I love that picture because he's calling Simon out here. And Simon starts starting, he's got to be kind of thinking to himself, how does he know all this in my head? He's starting to figure out that Jesus is this prophet. Jesus is basically saying this woman is a humble, gracious servant who loves me. You, Simon, because of the condition of your heart, are a bad host. And in that day, that was a very big deal. See, because you've got to get the picture again. Jesus, walks, Jesus comes into this dinner. Simon didn't offer him anything to wash his feet. That's the very first thing you can see here. And that's, how, that's the humble attitude of a, a humble servant that this woman took on when she came in the room. He didn't have his feet washed. So you see the disrespect in this part of the scripture that, that Simon is showing Jesus. She washed his feet. She kissed his feet. She anointed him. And Jesus is saying, you didn't do any of that. And it's because of the condition of your heart that you did not do that. The key point in the scripture is, I tell you her sins are forgiven and they are many. It says, but a person who shows little love, little has been forgiven, little shows little love. And I like this part of the parable too because um, Jesus said she wasn't saved because she loved much. She loved much because she was saved. That's the difference in what you see here. And the, note, the, the point of this parable is that she had been forgiven. Notice that Jesus didn't overlook her sin. He's not going to overlook your sin. He is not going to let you get away with it as you live your life. And again, Jesus saying all this shows that he read Simon's thoughts. Shows that he knew exactly what Simon was talking about and what he was doing. So as you look at all this story and you look at this woman coming in and you look at the attitude of the Pharisee and you look at the attitude of the humble woman at his feet, you see something very, very, you see principles in this parable that I think are, they're very important. Our awareness of our spiritual condition is tied to our actions. So we have to be aware of where we're at with God because our awareness is going to determine our behavior. Our awareness is going to determine how we act as Christians each and every time. Our affection is fueled by our faith and our thankfulness. Our affections are fueled by our faith. Not just toward the Lord, but toward each other. Our affections come into play on this. That shows our thankfulness and our gratitude toward the Lord. Do you love Jesus much? Or do you love him little? I think there's a reason. If you love Jesus much, it's because you realize you've been forgiven. And I don't care about your level of sin in your past. My daughter used to tell me all the time, she says, Dad, I got a boring testimony. I'm saying, good. I want you to have a boring testimony. If you need a nasty testimony or one that's got a lot of uh, story to it, use mine. I want you to have a boring testimony. The very last thing we see here is the pardoning Savior. And that's verses 48 through 50. 
Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sin? And Jesus said to the woman, but your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, by saying your sins are forgiven, Jesus was basically saying, I'm God. Because you see in Luke 5, 21, they talked about only God can forgive sins. And these people sitting around this table, these self-righteous Pharisees that were sitting around the table, they had to be thinking to themselves, wait a minute, who's this guy think he is? And again, everybody, even the bystanders around the outside of the dinner could hear everything that was being said at this table. So the Pharisees were like, wait a second, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And again, I love Jesus in this story because again, he ignored them focusing on the woman's needs. And she needed to hear the Savior say, you are forgiven. Have you had the Holy Spirit minister to your heart and say, you are forgiven? Because of the condition of your heart, because you were willing to come to him and lay your your burdens at him and confess your sin, you are forgiven. And I want to be real clear here. This woman is not saved because of what she did. She's not saved because she came in and wept and washed his feet and anointed them with perfume and kissed his feet. That is not why she's saved. That would be more along the lines of work salvation, works salvation, and that's not what Jesus is getting at here. We are saved by grace and by grace alone. Jesus tells her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. In Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, it says this. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He washed our sins away, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in the sight of in in his sight, and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. We are not saved because of good works. We We should do it this way. We are not saved by faith plus works. We are saved by faith that should lead to good works. Have you been doing good works? What have you been doing for the Lord as of late? Are you working for him as everything? When you're at your job, are you working for him? When you're taking care of your kids, are you working for him? When you're at the grocery store, are you working for him? It's all about our attitude and what we're doing for Christ. What was the proof of this woman's salvation? What was the proof of it? What's the proof of your salvation is what I'm trying to get at. She expressed her love to Jesus through sacrificial devotion to him. Through sacrificial devotion to the Lord, she expressed her love to Jesus. This thought comes to mind, so I'll ask it. What have you sacrificed lately for Christ? Are you just living your life as a Christian as you do each and every week? What have you sacrificed in your life for Christ lately? Anything? I don't know. And it may not be an issue with you, but if it is, I want to make sure that we have an opportunity for God to search our heart this morning. If I can have the band come up, we're going to close with the song in just a couple of minutes. At the end of this, it says, in the scripture, it says, Jesus told her, um, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When we look at the world today, there's anything but peace. Amen? Doesn't seem like there's any peace around us at all, does there? The only time we get any peace is when we get in here on a Sunday morning and we're able for just a moment to let everything outside the room go away. 
Jesus says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And I want that to be a message for our church this morning. Your faith has saved you, go in peace. This literally means for her to go into peace. You guys have heard my testimony before. You know when Rachel and I, at the end of the day, when I gave my life to Christ that Sunday morning, we didn't talk about it at all during the day that day. But I got home that night, laid in bed, and Rachel finally rolled over and said, what's it like? I didn't even know this scripture, but I had peace. And it struck me through this is I didn't just have peace. I had peace with God. I had been at enmity with God up to the moment I gave my life to Christ. And when I was saved, I had peace because I had peace with God. The miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle we can have, is it not? We ask for healing here on earth. We ask for extending of our lives. But the real miracle is when, we, when we're saved, when we're brought from death to life by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that is the most, that's, the, that's what we should be most thankful for this year. So as we look at all the things in the world that have no peace attached to them whatsoever at all, I want us to know this Thanksgiving season, no matter what's going on, if you're a Christian, be thankful. When your family says, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful because I'm saved. I'm thankful because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I know the Lord and he knows me. Isn't that the best thing to be thankful for? Are you saved? Do you know him? Do you have peace with God? Or are you still at enmity with God? Are you still battling with God? Are you still fighting this thing out with him and not really knowing what to do with all this? Because if you've been saved and you have peace, that peace and that salvation has came at a very high price from our Savior. There's another theological word we might use. Are you redeemed? Are you redeemed as you sit in this room this morning? Because if you are, I want you to rise to your feet if you would real quick with me this morning. Everybody stand if you would. Because if you're redeemed, I want to give us an opportunity to raise our voices to the Lord this morning in song and praise Him and be thankful and give Him thanks that we are saved and we can go from this place with peace. So if you would, please join in with Jessica and I'll come up and close in prayer in a moment.